Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most special things in life is the birth of a child. It's something we, we thank God for, don't we? Whether, whether the newborn child is our own or, or maybe the, the child of a friend or a, a family member. It's a special thing. And sometimes what we do is if, if, if the child is our own, we send out a birth announcement, don't we? We send a birth announcement in the mail to our friends and to our family, to our loved ones, letting them know that the child has arrived and inviting them to rejoice and to thank God with them. And so when you receive a birth announcement like that, you look at it, don't you, and you study it. You can learn things about this baby that's been born. It usually has a picture of the baby. And maybe it has the weight and, and the day the child was born. And, and, and maybe it mentions the other family members, the, the brothers and sisters too. You might marvel as you, as you look at the picture. You, you might marvel at the baby's hair or, or his, her eyelashes or her, his cuteness or his chubby cheeks and, and so on. And, and then you might put that announcement, that birth announcement, you might hang it up on your fridge or, or on the wall or on a bulletin board. But after a while, as time passes, maybe you don't see it as often. You don't really look at it. You, you eventually forget about it. And perhaps even as, as more birth announcements or, or, or pictures and, and things come in the mail, you, you put it away, maybe in a drawer, or, or maybe you even throw it away to make room for those other newer pictures. Well, too often... And too easily, congregation. That's the way we can treat the news about Jesus' birth. Oh, we might remember it today. We might come to church today. We might read Luke 2 or, or Matthew 1 and 2 as a family today. And the story of his birth, it might even amaze us and, and make us pause. But, but what happens then? So often the news that a Savior has been born becomes forgotten. Neglected and discarded. It happens in the world. It happens in the church. It can even happen in the lives of true believers. Neglecting the news of the Savior's birth shows, shows itself in all kinds of ways. It shows itself in a, in a careless attitude towards sin. It shows itself in an indifferent attitude about Jesus. It shows itself even if we are convicted of sin. We can neglect the news of the Savior's birth by just feeling totally hopeless and despairing in our sin. It shows itself in fear of the future. It shows itself in, in pride and, and in self-righteousness that, that can look so much like godliness and even humility. It shows itself ultimately in the neglect of the Savior himself. Well, this morning, congregation, what I want to do with you is, uh, together is, as it were, to, to take the birth announcement of Jesus Christ that is given to us in the Scriptures, in our text, Luke 2, verses 8 to 12. And I want, I want us to study, to study the Savior who's been born. To study what that announcement says about him. With the hope and the prayer 
That it will not be a birth announcement that we forget, that we just put on the fridge and eventually don't see anymore. But that it will be a birth announcement that enters into our hearts and transforms our lives. And so our theme with, with God's help this morning is the angel's gospel announcement of the Savior's birth to the shepherds. And I want to look at three things about this newborn Savior from this birth announcement. First of all, he's a Savior we can rejoice in. Secondly, he's a Savior we can confide in. And thirdly, he's a Savior we can come to. So in the first place, he's a Savior we can rejoice in. That's what the angel tells the shepherds in verses 10 and 11, doesn't he? But, but let's begin reading for a moment in verse 8, where Luke, just after telling us, he's just told us the birth of Jesus, in, in verses 6 and 7, in verse 8, he writes this, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Imagine it for a moment, children. Imagine the shepherds there, people who were, shepherds were people who were poor in those days. They were despised. They were looked down on by the higher classes. And they're out at night in the fields, in the dark, somewhere not too far from Bethlehem. Their sheep are there, all, all together in, in one flock, and the shepherds are watching. They're, they're, they're guarding, they're protecting the flock. They're making sure that, that none of the sheep wander. They're making sure that no bears or, or wolves or lions come and, and attack the sheep. They're making sure that no thieves come and steal any sheep. Maybe they're all watching together, or maybe they're, they're taking turns. Some of them may be sleeping, and, and one or two of them might be on the watch for a couple of hours, and then they'll, they'll, take, they'll, they'll switch out. It's what they were doing, and, and for them it was just an ordinary night. They knew nothing about Joseph and Mary, or about the baby that Mary has just given birth to. But suddenly, that all changes. An angel of the Lord appears, and a bright light shines all around the shepherds. The shepherds are terrified, and no wonder. Luke tells us it was the glory of the Lord shining around them. Then the angel speaks, and he says the most comforting and amazing words, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angel tells the shepherd that, that he's bringing them a gospel message, a message of great joy, and not only to them, but to all people. Meaning in this context here, all the people of Israel, but ultimately... Ultimately, as we learn later on, as you, you keep reading Luke 2, it, it's for all, all the people, all peoples of the world. And the cause of, of that great joy is the birth of someone special. The birth of a Savior. But what makes this newborn Savior a reason for so much joy? Well, we can note two things from the text. First of all, he's declared a savior with the Lord's authority. Luke is very clear on this. The angel, he says, is an angel of the Lord. 
You know, we've been looking at the angels in our Advent series, and quite often it, it, that's come out, and especially in Luke. Right? When the angel comes to Zacharias, and, and Zacharias doesn't believe, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord, and I was sent by the Lord. And in, in Mary's case, we're explicitly told that the angel Gabriel was sent by God. And it's really here that Luke is saying the same thing. This is the angel of the Lord. He is the Lord's servant, the Lord's messenger to these shepherds. And so the words the angel speaks are not his own words, but the very words of God. The same God who had revealed himself, the same Lord who had revealed himself in the Old Testament as the I am. The self-sufficient, absolute, eternal, sovereign, covenant-making, and covenant-keeping, faithful God. This Lord, the one only true God, declares that the one who's just been born is the Savior. But how do the shepherds know this is an angel of the Lord? Well, God makes it clear, doesn't he? Not only by sending his angel, but by revealing his glory with the angel. The glory of the Lord shone around them. When the angel appeared, the brilliant, radiant, dazzling, blinding glory of God suddenly pierced the darkness like a bolt of lightning. Children, you know how bright lightning is. But this wasn't lightning. This wasn't there just for a second and then gone. No, it shone around them. It was the glory of the Lord. It signified just like when the glory of the Lord appeared in the Old Testament. It signified the presence of God himself. That's why the shepherds at first were so terrified. They were in the presence of a holy, glorious God. But the angel then calms their fear with a message of good news. A message of great joy from this Lord, this God, in whose presence they were. To you is born this day a Savior. The glory of the Lord, you see, congregation, was not there to consume the shepherds. It was there to confirm. It was there to make abundantly clear that the angel's message of the Savior's birth is a message not from man, not even ultimately from an angel, but from the Lord. The angel of the Lord, let's put it in a math equation, the angel of the Lord plus the glory of the Lord. What does that equal? A message from the Lord. And the message is so wonderful. Unto you is born this day a Savior. The one born in Bethlehem is declared a Savior with and by the Lord's authority. That's what makes him a Savior we can rejoice in. Children, imagine, just imagine, I know you maybe don't want to imagine this, but imagine being at school and, and someone from another class tells you that that afternoon there's going to be no work. It's going to be an afternoon of, of fun. It's going to be an afternoon of, of playing games in the classroom or, or maybe in the gym. You might get a little excited, but at the same time you'd be, eh, this is just another student telling you that. Maybe he's just pulling your leg. You're not sure. But then maybe you come to your classroom and, and one of your own classmates tells you the same thing and, and maybe you believe it a little more. Maybe, but, but you might ask, are you sure? Who told you? You want to believe your friend, but how do you know for sure? But then imagine you, you sit down in your, in your desk and as you're sitting there, 
all of a sudden, over the speakers, comes a voice. It's the principal's voice. Students, I have an important announcement to make. This afternoon, we are giving you a break from all your classes. You may play with toys or play with games in the classroom and in the gym for the rest of the afternoon. Well, then there's no doubt in your mind anymore, is there? The principal has spoken. I can imagine. I used to be in school once too. I can imagine hearing all the classes erupting in, in joyful, loud cheers. The principal has spoken. An afternoon off. But you see, the announcement of a Savior who's been born is far greater. It's not just another human being telling us this. It's not the ruler of a nation. It's not even the angel. It's the Lord himself. Think of what he says in in Isaiah, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, for the Lord has spoken it. A Savior is born. The greatest and highest authority of all declares it. And the Lord, it's the Lord, the one against whom man has sinned, the one on whom we depend for salvation. He is saying it unto you, this born this day, a Savior. Oh, beloved, do you not see with me that this makes the Lord Jesus a Savior we can rejoice in? Not just today, not just tomorrow, and not just all week, and not just all year, and not even just all our lives, but all eternity. Oh, how we should rejoice in the Savior. How we may rejoice in the Savior. Not only because he is declared a Savior with the Lord's authority, but also because also because he is born a savior for people who need one. The angel says as much to the shepherds when he says those words, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Think about those words for a moment, congregation. What do those words imply? What do they assume? They imply, they assume But the shepherds need a savior. That's the only way the the angel's words make sense. They they assume the words, the the angel's message assumes that the shepherds need to be saved, that they need to be rescued from something. What's the point of a savior being born to people if they don't need one? The shepherds need a savior and the angel calls them to rejoice because a savior has been born, not just to Mary and Joseph. Not just to their family, not just to their friends, not just to other people, but to them. To them, for them, for poor, insignificant, despised shepherds. The Savior is born a Savior for people who need one. Isn't that a Savior you can rejoice in? You see, congregation, we all need a Savior. Whether we're rich or poor, Whatever our occupation, whether we're a farmer or a pastor or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom, whether we're a truck mechanic or whether we're, on, whether we're an office worker or a factory worker, whether we're retired, whether we're young or whether we're old, it doesn't matter. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. We need a Savior because... Because why, children? Because we are all sinners. By nature. And to be a sinner means much more than not being perfect. 
will all admit to that. To be a sinner means more than, than, than doing bad things to other people. Most of us will admit to do, doing that. To be a sinner congregation is to be in miserable bondage to Satan and at the same time in willing agreement with him. To be a sinner congregation is to be an enemy of the Lord who is always good. To be a sinner is to be in rebellion against the Lord who is our life, who gave us life and who preserves our life. To be a sinner is therefore to be under the holy and righteous wrath and curse of the perfectly just and righteous Lord and unable to escape that wrath of ourselves. Oh, congregation, I ask you, have you experienced in your own heart the awful, the hopeless reality of being a sinner before God? Oh, then, when you have to hear that glorious message unto you is born a Savior. What can give more joy than that? Here is a Savior congregation we can rejoice in. He is a Savior born to us. Born not to angels, but born to and for people. For people like us. For people who need Him so desperately. For sinners, for people who need rescuing from their sins and from Satan, from people who need reconciliation with God. That's you, that's me. Oh, what a Savior! Declared a Savior with the Lord's authority, born a Savior for people who need one. Those are good tidings of great joy, are they not? Tidings which the angels proclaimed to the shepherds. Tidings which God's word proclaims to you this morning. Won't you rejoice in him? Won't you trust in him? You see, but it is only by trusting in him that you can truly rejoice in him. But maybe you say, uh, can I? Can I? Can I trust this Savior? Can I confide in him with all my sins? In all my suffering, in all my fear and anxiety, living as we do in this hostile, broken world. Well, this brings us to the second thing we learn from the angel's gospel announcement to the shepherds. The Savior is not only a Savior we can rejoice in. He's a Savior we can confide in. The angel's announcement makes this clear in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Everything the angel says about this Savior tells his congregation he's a Savior who is not only born, he's a Savior who's just so great. He's a Savior we can confide in. In the first place, notice Notice what the angel says about the place the Savior is born. He is born in the city of David. Isn't that interesting? The angel doesn't tell the, 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 the shepherds, he doesn't tell them, yeah, the angel's born, or the, 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 the Savior's born in, in, uh, in Bethlehem. No, he says, the Savior has been born in the city of David. 
Of course, it is Bethlehem. We know that. Luke has informed us of that earlier on in, in verse 4. Bethlehem was, was David's hometown, you see. But by referring to it as the city of David, rather than Bethlehem, you see what the angel is doing. He is reminding the shepherds of that great Old Testament king of Israel, King David, and of all God's promises referring to him, above all, his promise of a son of David who would reign forever. The Savior, you see, is the promised king. We've seen something of that several times in our, our Advent series together. It comes out again and again. It's just that important, you see. And it's, it comes out in so many prophecies. You can, you can think of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, a, a promise that begins much like the angel does when he says, For unto you is born. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. A given. And what? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then it gives all those great names of this great governor, this great ruler, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And then listen to what verse 7 says. Children, listen closely for David's name. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. And upon his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. And the Old Testament has many prophecies like this. Prophecies that promise a great ruler, a great king from David's line who would sit on David's throne. And Micah 5 verse 2 congregation tells us that that ruler, the one who would rule his people, Israel, and through that also rule all peoples, that ruler will come out of Bethlehem. And so the angel is saying to the, to the shepherds, the, the Savior that's been born, it's him. He's the promised king. Isn't that a marvelous truth? The Savior whose birth we celebrate today is the promised king. Doesn't that make the Savior's birth, yes, over 2,000 years ago, doesn't it make it so relevant to us? You see, we live in a world that is offended by the gospel. We live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity and to the Bible. We live in a time and a place, congregation, where it's becoming harder and more costly to speak the truth. And in light of all this, it can be so tempting. It can be so tempting to, to live in fear. To, to cower in our little corner. It can be so tempting to, to even to compromise a little here or a little there so that we can, can continue living the way we've always lived in relative comfort and ease. But isn't it so important and helpful to remember then, congregation, that our Savior born in Bethlehem is the promised King that, and that the increase of His government and peace shall know no doesn't that, doesn't the fact that he is the promised king call us and enable us to be faithful to him, to confide in him, no matter what the cost might be to us? He's the promised king. But the angel also describes him as, as the anointed one. He is Christ. 
Christ is simply the Greek form of the Hebrew title Messiah, which means anointed one. In the Old Testament, children, you know that prophets and, and priests and kings, they were all anointed, weren't they? Anointed with oil as a symbol of their anointing by the Holy Spirit, empowering them for service, the service to which God had called them. But the Savior who was born, He's not just an anointed one. He's the anointed one. His anointing would become clear at the start of his public ministry, at his baptism, of course. We, we know that, right? When the Spirit came down from, from heaven in the form of a dove. And that was a symbol of his anointing. But already here at his birth, the angel reveals, himself, reveals Jesus as the anointed one. And his being the anointed one, congregation, shows us how great he is. How confident we can be looking to him. You see, to be anointed for the Christ, for Jesus, the Savior, to be the Christ, to be the anointed one means so much. Jesus himself declares to us what it means in Luke 4, as he quotes Isaiah 61. Listen to what he says in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised or oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Yes, he is anointed with the Spirit of the Lord, that Spirit who are who Isaiah describes elsewhere as the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is, he is the anointed one. Do you see how that makes him a Savior congregation that you and I can confide in? He has been anointed to deal with all of our needs. All of our sins, all of our brokenness, all of our blindness, all of our oppression and, and trouble. He is the anointed one. The spirit of the Lord is upon him to save you and to help you in all of your needs. What a great savior. It's a savior that's been born. Don't you agree? But that's still not all. The angel tells the shepherds, this Savior is also the Lord. Christ the Lord. What a glorious title. What a glorious title for a humble Savior lying in a feeding trough. The Lord. He's the Lord. He has all authority. He is sovereign over everything. He reigns. He controls all things. He, not Caesar Augustus, and not any other earthly ruler, neither Satan himself. No, the Lord, the Savior is the Lord. He rules all things. Everything and everyone is in his hand. He is God. Do you see what that means? It means there is nothing in your life that he is unable to help you with. 
There is nothing outside the realm of his control, nothing outside the realm of his power and his authority. It means he's a savior. We can confide in. We can entrust ourselves to him. That's what the angel wants the shepherds and wants us to know by declaring not only that a Savior is born, but that he is born in the city of David as the promised king and that he is Christ the Lord. Oh, isn't he so great? Doesn't his greatness, congregation, draw you to him? But maybe you are here and You see all this greatness of the Savior. And then you look at yourself. How can I ever approach such a Savior? Such a great Savior? I am so sinful. I am so dirty. I am so undesirable in myself. I'm just a nobody. Perhaps the shepherds wonder that too. But you know, the angel gave them a most amazing sign. Inviting and encouraging them to look for the Savior, revealing to them and to us that this Savior, born in the city of David, is a Savior we can come to. Look at what the angel tells the shepherds in verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel gives a sign, a sign that, that really beckoned and invited the shepherds to come, come and come to the Savior. You see, the sign he gave highlights the great humility, the great humility of the Savior. He would be like any other baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was, that was humbling enough. God in the flesh, wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was humbling enough, but, but his humility is especially revealed in the fact that he was lying in a manger. Children, you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. You know what feeding troughs are? I'm sure many of you do. You have horses, you have cows. There's a feeding trough at the edge of the, the enclosure. They can, you put the food in and they eat out of. That's where the Savior was lying. Oh, what an encouragement for these simple, plain shepherds. Even with all his greatness, the Savior who had been born to them wasn't locked away in some fancy palace or castle with all kinds of gates and, and guards to, that they had to get by. No, he was close to them, just a little ways away in the town of Bethlehem in the city of David, not, not with a halo around his head as so many of the nativity scenes show, but just lying there in a feeding trough, a common feeding trough. The shepherds would know what that was. They were shepherds. They had sheep. A trough for animals, dirty animals like those sheep. The shepherds could go. They could go just as they were in their shepherd clothing with empty hands and go and see this great Savior. They could come to him because he had humbled himself so greatly.
Are you afraid to come to Jesus? We can feel that way sometimes, can't we? We can feel too low, too dirty, too sinful, too ashamed to come to Jesus. But doesn't knowing that he humbled himself so much that he was willing to lay in an animal feeding trough, doesn't that calm your fears? Doesn't that invite you to come to him? Oh, but you say he's not in a feeding trough anymore, Pastor. He's not even here on this earth anymore. He's in heaven. He's, he's at God's right hand. How, how can I come to him like this? Oh yes, it's all true. God has highly exalted him. But that does not mean you cannot come to him or that you have to somehow dress yourself up first in order to come to him. It doesn't mean that you have to make yourself good enough by your repentance or by your good works or by whatever else. No, you see, the reason that he's exalted now is because he humbled himself even more greatly than when he was born. He didn't just humble himself to lay in a feeding trough. He humbled himself all his life long. And he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. So that sinners like you and like me can come can come to the Savior just as we are in all of our filthy rags with empty hands and be welcomed, be welcomed by his nail-pierced hands. Yes, he's in heaven, but he's not there as one who is high and lofty and unapproachable. No, he is there. He is there as a merciful and faithful high priest, one who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, one who is there as a savior for sinners. And yes, he is there in his human nature in heaven, but, but even by his spirit, he still, in a certain sense, you could say, humbles himself. You know, he said to his disciples, he promised, he said to them, if any man love me, my father will come. And I will come. And we will make our home with him, with her. Oh, then come. Come to the Savior now, just as you are, with all your sins, whatever they might be. Whatever they might be. Come to him with those sins. Come to him with your struggles. He is a Savior, you see. You can come to because he humbled himself so greatly. The Savior's humility was an encouragement to the shepherds to come. But, but the sign was more than just a, a revelation of, of his humility. The, the sign was, was more than just a subtle encouragement. No, the sign of the Savior lying in a manger was a promise, you could say, even to the shepherds. It was an open invitation. You shall find, the angel says. You shall find him. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He doesn't say, you may find. He says, you shall find. That's a promise. A promise that assured those shepherds that they can come. That this Savior is one they can come to. That if they seek him, their seeking will not be in vain. 
They will find him. And they will know him when they find him. By his lying in a manger. Seek, seek, and ye shall find. And of course, children, we know the rest of the passage, don't we? What happened? Did the shepherds, did the shepherds go and seek? Did they go and look for the Savior? Of course they did. And did they find him? They found him. They found him just as the Lord had told them. Do you see what the angels promise to the shepherds is saying? It's saying the Savior born in the city of David is a Savior they can come to. And beloved, the same is true for us. This Savior is a Savior we can come to. By faith. Trusting in Him. He Himself invites us to seek Him all over and over again, all throughout His Word. I was thinking, I was thinking about Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. Don't have it in my notes, but it's a beautiful promise. And ye shall seek me and find me, the Lord says, when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. I will be found of you. Think of the Lord's, the the Savior's own promise, his own invitation in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his promise. Have you come? Have you come to this Savior who was born? Why wouldn't you come? Why wouldn't you come when you so desperately need Him? And we don't need Him just once, congregation. We need Him again and again and again. And He promises that every time, every time we seek Him, He will be found of us. We must seek Him. Without Him, without coming to the Savior, without faith in the Savior, without trusting in Him, we are left in our sins. We are left to face the judgment and wrath of God alone. But you don't need to. That's the good news of of Christmas. Because a Savior has come. A Savior is born. And He's a Savior congregation you can rejoice in. He's a Savior you can confide in. He's a Savior you can come to. The Savior came to save all those who come to Him, no matter how sinful and unworthy you are in yourself. For unto you is born a Savior. Isn't that glad tidings, good tidings of great joy also to you? Isn't that, isn't that the best birth announcement ever? Well, let's not forget about it. Let's not throw it away. Let's treasure it. Yes, let's treasure Him. Rejoicing in Him, confiding in Him, and coming to Him. Amen.